Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turn Out a Punk Footnotes. I am one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host is that high-flying, high-styling Chris O'Toole. Chris, <laughs> how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I did two podcasts today, so we've had to call in the reinforcements. We had to call in the full, well, we called in the full team, but we knew we had to call in especially one member of the team, the Pittsburgh Prince, Dave Martin. Dave, thank you for coming back onto Footnotes. Well, thanks for having me. Well, well, as I was recording this with Jesse, I was like, when I do Footnotes for this episode, my God, Dave has to be here because you're the only guy that I think can make sense of the Pittsburgh conversation that we are going to partake in tonight. Well, I'm not the only guy. I'm the only guy that will talk to you, though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like until, until someone from the cynics returns my phone calls, then uh, <laughs> we're just going to have to rely on Dave Martin. <laughs> JK, Dave. JK. We, I want you, we've, we've been trying to get this to happen for a long time, and this finally gave us the excuse to make it happen. So thank you for coming back, buddy. I'm glad to be here. Well, we have a monster of an episode to get into today. But I guess before we get into the episode and all the other things, uh, how are you guys doing? Dave, you can go. I'm doing well enough. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, you know. Complaining would be more effort than it's worth. (laughs) All right. Well, Chris, how about yourself? I'm always the same, slightly better because of uh, my uh, my lovely sporting teams I follow, or one of them in particular is doing exceptionally well, and that's made my year in a way. But yeah, uh, yeah, same old. Well, people hear me every week; they know what the deal is. Is it is it the uh, Cleveland uh, uh, basketball team? <laughs> it is not the Cleveland Cavaliers. No, I am not a Cleveland Cavaliers fan. It is, it is uh, as you would know, your favorite sport, Everton Football Club, uh, Premier League Soccer. My team won the league this year, which I'm very excited about. Um, is your team Everton? No. Okay, so I'm, I'm not happy Making then. a joke. <laughs> yes, exactly. Okay. Ask, yeah, ask Robbie Brookside. He'll tell you what happened. No, I'm not. <laughs> that's why I asked you, so I don't have to embarrass myself. Because now I won't ask him if our team won or lost. Fair <laughs> uh, enough. Thanks for filling me. Your in. team is uh, is 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 disappointed this year, but is is okay. There oh, you go. Okay. That's your answer. Did, did but yeah, and, and no, Liverpool good. did lose, right? Liverpool are doing much better than you, and uh, are still in a final of a European Cup, and they might win it. So actually, it could be your nightmare. Yeah, they lose, but, uh, and, and then everything's going okay for me because uh, you know I don't I don't yes. root for a sports team so much as I negatively root for sports teams. Like, yeah, I root against. That is the teams. best way to do it. That's the best way to do it. That's how you enjoy. No, sports. it is. Yeah, I agree. That is, I fully. It's funny that you, for me, you're not someone who is like. Besides your wrestling fanaticism, which we know all about, of course, but like as a sport guy, you don't have that vindictive nature with sports that I've ever seen. So it's lovely to hear it, actually, because that is my favorite aspect of sport: hating the team that you don't like. Well, I just 
don't like, you know, obnoxious horn honking and people being <laughs> happy on the streets, apparently. And, uh, you know, fair enough. I also, yep. I also, uh, in Toronto right now, if you don't like the sports teams, it's like, it's kind of the punkest thing you can do. You know? Yeah, I would say that that's accurate. It's kind yeah, of I think that's accurate. It's uh, definitely in vogue again. Like when you walk around, it's very in vogue. Oh, yeah, this very is very boring. Let's let's get onto the punk. Well, no, because we have to talk sports, Chris. Because uh, one, I'm getting closer to Cherokee Parks for an NBA person. <laughs> but number two, right. we have to still acknowledge, as always, wrestling is the number one punk adjacent sport. Uh, <laughs> skateboarding's number two, but number three, <laughs> I think this week now we can safely say. Maybe overtaking Major League Baseball is professional hockey, Chris. Why? What did you find out this week? Well, we have our classic boy Devereaux, who we know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Reps reps the deep psych, you know, and, and put out some sick <laughs> yeah. records. Um, we also know that Felix Potvan enjoyed uh, <laughs> skanking in the pit in Toronto during his time as a Maple Leaf. And was actually brought up in Doug Gilmore's book for uh, being uh, ridiculous that it was allowed that for him to go mosh at these concerts that he was going to mosh at. Um, I do nice, remember yep. seeing him. I do remember seeing him mosh or well, mosh skank for Jersey and skank for Less Than Jake. So, but <laughs> number one, I'm going to say this: number one in the NHL punk. Thing. Oh, there's also the guy with the Alexa on Fire logo on his helmet. But do you know yeah, this guy? Ben Scrivens, I believe, is his name. Ben Scrivens. So we have three. Yeah. But we're adding number four. And I'm going to say this is probably the best taste out of all of them. Well, boy, Devereaux. But th- th- this is right up there. Uh, are you familiar with a hockey player by the name of Andrew Fer- Ferentz? Fer- Ferentz, yeah. Ferentz. Used to play for Dave. Used to play for Dave's beloved Pittsburgh Penguins. Okay. Well, I'm not a jock, so I do not know. But... At yeah. Vegan Rai Rai on, uh, on the Twitter machine, tweeted at me and him, and it apparently he is a huge fan of SNFU, the Smalls, Bad Religion, the Bronx. He would, like talked about going to SNFU shows, and he was talking about how what a great scene Edmonton had in the 90s and stuff. So, you know what? He's it, man. He, he tipped the scales in favor of the NHL. That's funny. I, I never knew. Like, I didn't know that he was from there. Um, last played for and captain the oil. I'm just reading this thing really quick. Yeah, born in Edmonton. Yeah. Wow. That checks out. Nice. I never knew that. And he, and he still goes Interesting. To, still goes to shows, you know? Like, he is, my gosh. Like, he he's definitely, uh, you know, tipped the scales in favor of uh, the NHL. It shows how dated my news is, too, because, like, the Pittsburgh connection with him is, like, from what year? It's very, needless to say, a good while ago. 99. Okay. (laughs) But, yeah, but uh, he's retired for the last three years, too, by the way. But it still counts, yeah. Um, But that's awesome. So there we go. Yes. We now have a, uh, a connection to the NHL that's tipped the scales in favor of the NHL. Goodbye, Major League Baseball, as the third most punk-adjacent <laughs> sport. 
enjoy the fourth position. Wow. There you go. Well, okay, I'm happy about that. I'm sure there are a few other hockey hosers that are into, like, especially what you're describing, like the, never thought of that, those Western Canadian hockey folks. I'm sure that they had experience with some of those bands out West at the very least. Well, I don't know. Maybe we've only got the four. We're on the. If you out there right now listening know of an NHL player that's not on our list, or an NBA player, or or an MLS player. Well, maybe not an MLS player, but like a one a <laughs> soccer player, a football player, um, that hasn't been brought up on the show because we've brought up a couple, right? Like there was a we've had a couple football players now brought up, like soccer football players, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a few. Stuart Pierce was brought up. There's a yeah, there's there's a there's definitely connections there. They're not I mean, yeah. There's connections. Yeah. But as far as like contemporary players, that I think that's where you struggle more in that sport if yeah. if I had to be old. Yeah. Not with contemporary but, yeah. wrestlers though, Chris, because this week <laughs> Jesse Michaels being on the podcast, like, you know, CM yeah. Punk has an Operation Ivy tattoo. Uh Sami Zayn's entire uh you know, bring entrance and everything. It owes a little bit to Operation Ivy a lot. You know, he credits them for informing him as a young person in a major way. So that's one. That's once again why wrestling is number one on the punk adjacent physical activity list. <laughs> according to Damien, yeah. Ah, according to reality, Chris, we've established this. We don't have to go through the whole <laughs> argument all again. <laughs> Uh, All right, so where do you want to go from here? Well, now we have to awkwardly (laughs) transition to get into the news, which unfortunately um, around here normally means acknowledging the passing of someone that meant a lot. And this week, unfortunately, is certainly true when we talk about the passing of Tony Kinman of the band, well, I guess the Dills, but, you know, it played in a lot of other stuff too. But the Dills for me are one of my first... You know, like old. I remember getting that Danger House single, like one of the first singles that I like sought out and got, and it was like a huge deal. And certainly uh, a band that had a huge impact on, you know, punk and and hardcore, obviously. And then also went and played in rank and file and had a huge influence on a lot of other types of music as well. But uh, for this, the purpose of this podcast, the Dills are certainly a band that you know gets talked about and we have to acknowledge uh, the passing of one of the main songwriters uh, were you a fan of well the Dills? are you a fan of the Dills Chris I don't know them greatly but I know the associations that you're talking about but yeah decent band I never really d- dug deep into them to be honest I think maybe this is more of a Mr. Martin uh, query Oh, I, I mean I guess it is I mean the first two singles are both perfect um, and then I think I always thought that the third single, which of course um, <laughs> made in Canada. Yeah, I was going to say, pick uh, your words very carefully right now, Dave, when you talk about. Yeah, it, no, I, I always, I, you know, I always, uh, in my mind, it was like, oh, they fell off or whatever. I, I re listened to it, uh, you know, just a couple months ago. It's great. It, I mean, it's absurd. Like, you, you know, the, the packaging, like, it obviously it's not a single and I don't like whatever made them think they should put that package out, is, <laughs> you know, but it's great. It's absolutely essential. Everyone should go buy one. It's not even that expensive, right? 
No, it's 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 you know, it's like a fifty dollars. I mean, a little bit of money. Yeah. 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 But they're they're one but, of those that that record especially too because that's the that Rougeletti Records put that out, which is the uh, Canadian label that put out the Rude Norton record and put out the uh, Bud Luxford comps that came out uh, a little bit later on, and yeah, so like it's a an important label in the uh, you know history of Canadian punk I guess for obscurity, but like that Dills record. Man, that that puts it on the map. Like that's a that connects. That's like one of those great kind of turn into punk records that manages to connect to you know geographically separated scenes. Yeah, I mean, but you know, but they didn't have a fourth song, or they no, didn't. Know. You know, nobody said, "Why don't we do one of these sides at 33? You know, I'm, yeah. I think it's probably because, yeah. like, you know, you're partying pretty hard in Vancouver. You're enjoying the weed, and then next thing you know, you forgot to record <laughs> the the fourth side of your double seven inch. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's all plausible. It's very plausible. That's how I imagine one it thing going that, for me. There's one thing I just noticed here, which is not uh, – I didn't realize this connection. I'm just looking at the resource just really quickly. But uh, I didn't realize that he had – it says a brief time as the bassist of the Avengers. I didn't know that either. Yes. Oh, sorry. No, it says where yes. bassist. Pardon me. It doesn't say he played bass in the Avengers, but that he was briefly in the Avengers, which I was not aware of. Interesting. Not in a record, right? I don't doesn't think say he's on any records. Before. We could look up on the uh, appearances here to see. Um, but no, I don't, it doesn't appear to be. Weird, okay. That's a... Uh, interesting factoid for folks who, uh, like the footnotes vibe to dig into. Well, we love the footnotes vibe here. That's well, of course about. we do, but I mean like other people who can feed off it like us and maybe dig it up. But, uh, I can't seem to find out if he's actually on any of the records, but... It does mention that, so that's kind of another point that I didn't realize. It's kind of one of those things where it's it's you know I guess there's there's just like never enough information that you can know about this stuff. You know, there's always another band, always another connection. <laughs> this is true. I think that. Uh, Folks like yourself uh, do know a crazy amount. I can't believe you have any room to know more. <laughs> but yes, well said. No, it's, uh, there's always room, like for Jello <laughs> and, and factoids about bands and band connections. There's always way, room to know more. Um, but yeah, a very sorry. We're in the middle of an obituary, and now we're digressing into talking about records and things like that. But. Um, it is yeah. it is a sad passing, and um, our thoughts go out to, I guess, his brother, and who's also you know bandmate, and his wife. It says in this article, so um, yeah, sad passing. Yeah, and I also I guess um, I don't know if you could have two more 2018 songs than Class War and I Hate the Rich. <laughs> yeah, so the Dills more relevant than ever. Sadly. True. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, like it's, it's not like there was a lot of political bands at that time, um, putting or like, or putting out overt political songs at, in that scene. 
So especially you know, American ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like specifically that LA scene. Like I'm trying to think of any other records that are kind of like overtly political. Maybe the bag single on Danger House. But like, let's get a rid, rid of New York. Certainly not a political song. Yeah, no, nope. it's not. <laughs> not think, so much. No, and I don't think Black Randy put in a lot of political stuff. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, no. Well said. Um, okay. Well, that's. Uh, I guess unless anything else you guys want to say um, on, on about Tony. No, Spence. I think. No, I think. Well, I meant news wise. Sorry, but yeah, no, I think you you put it very aptly. Of course, very sad. Um, all right. Well, I guess we'll move on now. Awkwardly transition to the mailbag. Chris, can you sure. crack open that mailbag and take us away from the sad news? Yeah, I have uh, a few items this week that are interesting. One of which is a slightly contentious message from uh, listener Steve. The title of the email is Punk Wrestling Connection. Oh. And uh they write, hey guys, hate to fuel the fire with the punk wrestling connection. Uh, sorry, hate. I hate to fuel the punk wrestling connection fire, pardon me. And the connection is tenuous at best. But I have to send you this clip from Finding Joseph I of HR, likening his persona to that of a wrestler. Highly recommended document documentary, pardon me. Uh, if you haven't seen it, fascinating and heartbreaking. And, uh, yeah, so thanks, Steve. He sent the clip. I can't share it with you, gentlemen, but and I've yet to see the uh, the full documentary. But regardless, there's even, uh, yeah, HR likening persona to wrestling. So I guess that's uh, a, a column for your win as well, again, Dame, as oh, usual. Absolutely. And also MVP uh, has posted uh, the picture <laughs> of him hanging out with HR, you know? So there you go. <laughs> Punk Wrestling Connection is strong. Boom. But thank you for sending that in. <laughs> we constantly need more evidence because there are still people, even within the fold, that doubt the power <laughs> of the punk wrestling connection, Chris. I do doubt that, yes. I, I can't argue with your connections you've made, Dame, but yes, I do doubt it. I feel that I feel like Mr. Dave Martin would be on my side in this one, though, too. <laughs> I can't lie. Um, <laughs> I can't, I'm, Not to blow up your spot, Dave. Yeah. Um, you know, I got, I got no problem with the rest. <laughs> I would say it's very hard to um, to deny both the enthusiasm and what seems to be the overwhelming evidence. Yeah, I would say the evidence more constantly. Un- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, you would say that. Yeah. The uh, the listener here really quickly also as a PS which I thought was very funny loved the Poison Idea record collector segment last week and said it was quote unquote peak footnotes which I thought was very uh, a high compliment. It's uh, well I appreciate that thank you very much I think that was you know if we get somewhere to go we will go you know <laughs> true yes <laughs> all right so. Next message here, and uh, this is from a listener, John. Uh, he writes, long-time listener, first-time emailer. Enjoyed the Jerry A episode, of course, as well as footnotes. Uh, huge Poison Idea fan. They were truly, it was truly a treat to hear the episode. Uh, anyway, discussed a few topics that I'd chime in on and nerd out. One was uh, clarification on the Suburban Voice mention with the Poison Idea tour diary, as mentioned by us and 
Uh, you know, it was, yeah, his listener wrote in about it. Pardon me, and then we chimed in on it. But anyway, he loved suburban voice. Said the tour diary was from winter 1991. Uh, he has a couple of pictures they attached in the message, which I'll send to your brother to put on whatever um, platform we do that on. And uh, he said the actual uh, issue also came with an American Standard and Crucial Youth split seven inch, which was nice. Um, as well, next point he writes about, not sure if you've ever seen this one, I'm a big collector of flyers and other punk historical papers, or not a big collector of, but he's always had a soft spot for mail-away lyric sheets or booklets, and Black Flags, My War had one, for example, and I'm sure some other bands have done it, uh, which he writes in brackets, a new discussion topic. Um, but anyway, Poison Idea had one for Kings of Punk, I had to get mine off eBay, he writes, but I'd heard I'd heard it was one dollar self-addressed stamped envelope back in the day they'd send you a lyric booklet which was awesome xeroxed with collages and some hand coloring pics attached of his copy here um oh sorry it says not his copy it was someone else's but he has one super cool and uh yeah so he sent in essentially this item that he's describing there which is like a, a hand colored poison idea uh more or less like fan club lyric thing uh for kings of punk which is pretty amazing and also the actual Suburban Voice cover, it's issue number 30, and it's got the classic Poison Idea image on the front with the, you know, it's actually not the same band photo. Well, maybe it is the same. But anyway, with Tom right up front and the rest standing behind. And, uh, yeah, so it's amazing. I'll forward this on to your brother and yourself. And uh, But, Dame, I do you not have this Poison Idea lyric booklet thing? I don't have the lyric booklet thing. I have the Kings of Punk's posters. That's what it was. I remember there was some yeah, rare thing. There was I, yeah, there a lot of stuff in that record. Yeah, like there's a Portland edition which had the two poster inserts and two flyers and a sticker. I don't have the sticker, but I have all the other stuff. Nice. But that is a uh, like I uh, that to me is shit that's like super rare. That stuff that might as well not exist. Like how many kids were putting the stamps to get those lyric books like you know a handful you know dave did you ever write away for a lyric book i i don't think so i'm trying to remember not really i i mean i would send away for stuff but and stuff like that i I don't think i ever did yeah it's like that stuff to me just doesn't even exist it's so rare like i you know like i i guess i do probably have some stuff that like like the odd lyric sheet that didn't come in every record but you know that paper collecting to is 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 hard. You know, there's not a lot of that <laughs> stuff that survived. Records people keep. You know, tapes even people keep. How many people hold on to flyers? Like people do, obviously, but like not everyone. No, I mean, I have no idea where most of mine went. Um, you know, just lost in in a move somewhere, yeah. or just you know. But even ones like, I don't know, like, you know, like when I moved out of my parents' house, like, I think I'm, I don't even know if I took them off the wall. Maybe, you know, I'm sure my parents were like, oh, finally, we can just take this crap down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because like, if you're, you know, like there comes a point and I'm saying this as a crazy person, but like, if you're moving <laughs> stacks of paper from one house to another house, you kind of look like a crazy person. <laughs> and I, I do that though. So I, as a, I, once again, I say that, at, you know, full acknowledgement that I am a crazy person. 
Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, I, I mean, obviously the the idea of this stuff uh, has evolved over time. You know, um, in in the heat of the moment, though, they're just pieces of paper. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, yeah, precious the, the, paper. Yeah, like the the impetus to archive it. Yeah, would would have yeah. been more difficult in those years. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, like, like if somebody's like, "What are you doing?" and you're like, "I'm looking for a flat file, maybe some sort of acid." Free type um, <laughs> thing to put these flyers in. Oh. People would have just been like, so you're Ian Mackay, okay? <laughs> well, because <laughs> we've seen it, we know that you didn't. You yes, but but you would have had to have, like been there then to realize like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Like well, that's what I'm saying. Like know? Ian's the only person I like that crew. I think because Henry Rollins, I bet you, is the exact same way. Judging by that CDs that he he makes, you know, where those guys were like, you know what, this shit is important. I'm gonna hold on to this. This means something to me. And like he was pulling out flyers, Dave, that looked like he had just fucking printed them up at the local print shop and picked them up, like old old flyers, OG flyers. Yeah. It was nuts, eh, Chris? And, you know, I would it say, was. you know... It was DC nuts in a good way, pardon me. Yeah. yeah. So DC good. Flyers were also, like, a, a kind of, like, a step above a lot of scenes as well. Like, they would go all out for some shows, you know? Like, yeah. some of those Flyers are really insane. So. Yeah. But, you know, like... I, they're just smarter than us. Yeah, like, I, but, I, you know, and I... People obviously held on to, to flyers because you see this stuff, but like, I don't know to like to know that like it's one thing to hold on to it. Like I'm going to throw this into the bottom of my drawer, but then to like know where it is, like thirty some odd years later, it's like that respect, respect. Uh, well, I think it's it's his acumen. One of the things that I well, I think we experienced was that. Um, Normally, the the kind of person that's you know sort of like quote pack rat, like has that sort of stuff doesn't really have organization. It's just like a very it's you know it's usually a you know if a if mess. you can, if you have the ability to organize it and catalog yeah. it then you're then you're an archivist yeah exactly Otherwise, you're you're a hoarder that's exactly right and I think that's what we witnessed in person day was that. And they were actually doing well. Joe was yep. doing archiving on, I don't know what what he was doing, but he was archiving something. Photos that we, yeah, that we were mid sort of we we interrupted sort of speak. So yeah, that's exactly right. Dave Martin summed it up perfectly there. Is it an interruption when your friends come by though? <laughs> no, but you, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's what we witnessed no we were definitely the interrupting important. there's no way I could show up in that house and not be interrupting <laughs> in the way in the way I had I had a lot of business to get to that day a lot of questions to get to <laughs> this is true um, well All right. speaking of questions what is the next letter in the mailbag alright this next one of course pertains to wrestling again you're being called out twice it seems this week uh, I was being called Steve out on the last again. one that different that was giving me like well, ammunition. It, it ha- yes, it helped you, but it was sort of like a backhanded compliment. This was another listener, Steve K, different than this first Steve that wrote, 
And uh, just a quick thought on wrestling. Other than the universal consensus that it's rubbish, quote-unquote, everyone that has seen the photo of Biscuit Turner holding a skateboard knows that skateboarding is and has always been the most punk-adjacent physical activity. It's undeniable. However, I understand the need to align two major interests, so I offer you this as an alternative with wrestling synchronized rehearse moves attempted broad appeal flashy stage show and brackets very loose punk connections it's much easier to mash it up with say a newfound glory or some 41 or hell even an avril levine so essentially wrestling is the avril levine to skateboarding's big boys i hope that helps ease your mind there you go dame I have a feeling you're going to respond to this. You know what I never saw once in Kinshasa? (laughs) Anyone on a fucking skateboard. You know what I did see? (laughs) Thousands of people filling the streets watching pro wrestling. You know what I never saw in Bolivia? A person on a fucking (laughs) skateboard. You know what I did see? Wrestling changed the entire perception of indigenous women in that country. So, yeah, it's it's like Newfound Glory if Newfound Glory was fucking Gizum Cross with Poison Idea. <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah, like that, like what a what a like yeah. Of course, the big boys. Yeah, what have you done for me lately, punk skateboarding? <laughs> that is actually I uh, I will say because of my. Uh, non-interest more or less in skateboarding and wrestling to be fair uh i don't know what's going on contemporary skateboarding and with regards to punk so they're all skating to shittier music now yeah but i just mean if people want like people who are actually interested or whatever that that really follow it like feel free to email us in uh we know we want to give me you know give me a list of five skateboarders that have changed their name to reflect their love of afi and I will, I will concede. <laughs> you know, find me that pro skateboarder who's training the next generation of skateboarders right now, who also ran a pirate radio station in Liverpool and saw the fucking bad brains when they played England. And I will concede. But until that point comes, <laughs> I can't. I just can't. <laughs> Fair enough. I love that this got a rise out of you. That that was the message that got a rise out of you. Well, that person was trying to get a rise, and congratulations, you <laughs> <Yeah>. succeeded. <laughs> Having said that, thanks for listening. Thanks for writing. Okay, that was it for mailbag. <laughs> All right, now now we end the segment known as Damien defends the truest thing he's ever known, and <laughs> we added to the segment, which is the bulk of the show. Uh, I guess we're going to dive into this one. Uh, first of all, this one was a thrill for me because, you know, I've gotten to meet a lot of people that I talk to on this show. You know, occasionally I'll, I'll interview someone that I haven't met, but this is someone that, like, I, I like. I honestly thought there was, like, no fucking way I'd ever talk to Jesse. Even when he came back with Common Writer, I didn't think I'd ever meet him for some reason. I don't know. I well, since you started the show, you mean, or just in general? Just in general, like as a kid, like he disappeared. He was gone when, when like you're getting into punk. You're like, whatever happened to the singer of Operation Ivy? You're like, okay, two of the guys are in Rancid, the drummer's in Schlong. Where did the singer go? And then, yeah, yeah I, 
I suppose. I, I never thought about that too much, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, it's a fair. He he was like kind of you know like I you know what whatever reason we didn't get into it in this episode. Maybe we will get into part two. But like he he left that spotlight for for a good number of years. Yeah, I mean, but it based on what he was saying in the interview, I think it's sort of you know it's understandable as to why that happened for personal reasons, but. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think that's a fair thing that you're saying. There are those people that tend to just kind of, you know, if, even if it's not like a, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know how high profile as far as like genuine, like popularity, like the bands are popular. I don't know of how much people know him as a part of that band. Like I never knew the, the names of, like I knew the, what's his face from Ransom is in it. I didn't know any other members uh, of Operation Ivy as a young person. So that was more, I think. For the folks of your pedigree, that were I know I don't think so, Chris. I evidence. think you might be in the minority on this one. From like, well, and perhaps. I'm not saying like I'm not saying the generation, you know, before us, but I'm saying for our generation, like this record is like that watershed record. Like, I, I have a hard time imagining what post Operation Ivy punk would sound like without Operation Ivy. I don't, yeah, I don't debate that. I think that is an apt point. I'm curious, based on this, what you just said leads us to our 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 cohort tonight, Dave Martin. When this record came out, did you notice it having an impact? Did you care? And it's kind of I, I I don't. Uh, my perception might be a little skewed. Um, so when when the seven inch came out, when Hecta came out, um, yeah. Uh, I worked in a record store and we stocked it because it was Jesse's band's record. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, also like he had been gone maybe for, you know, a year or two. So some people knew him and some, you know, some people didn't. But, you know, there were there was a lot of interest in Pittsburgh because people knew that guy. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And so, so yours, yours, you're quite close to it in a weird way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> close but not close at all. Yeah. Yes, I mean, ge- like meaning the geographical, yeah, assembly, like the yeah, the association. Gotcha. Yeah. But that that record was popular out of the gate, right? Like, because I I only gauge that on the well, fact that the first actually, pressing I, was I will say so numbered, and it's like yes. three thousand. Um, yeah, I mean, at that time, you know, records sold so. Um, you know, it was hard to judge how popular it was, though, um, because it did have an edge over other records. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was a time when the album came out that, like, me and my friends, we realized that it had taken on another life. Yeah. You know? And so, so yeah, there was like, oh, wait a minute. They're, they're like, really popular. And it's funny. Well, I think that's also... Go on. go on, Dave. Go no, on. no, yep. go, on, go on. No, no, that's it. Just somebody go on. But I, that was the end of my point. <laughs> it's it's Dang. funny because that record comes out the day they they break up. Like their last show is the album release party, and it it like it consistently was the highest selling record for Mortem distribution. I think ever since it came out. Type thing. It's like amazing to think about what would have happened if they had been able to, you know, kind of keep it together, or if they had signed that major label deal with EMI that they were kind of famously offered. I have uh, I have two 
topics of discussion to bring up based on what you based on everything of what we're just touching on. One is understandably that band, at least that record and sort of that band is is as you describe in the interview, even a Jesse and sort of what we're touching on now. The idea of this band being sort of always one of those first, you know, things that you get into if you're getting into punk of a certain generation. I think from I don't know, I would say like mid nineties forward for sure. But do you think the popularity has exponentially grown in the in the wake of that group? Like like is it much bigger than it was initially when they were around? Oh yeah. Like he even kind of says it like their their last show was definitely their biggest show they ever played. And then as Dave yeah. said, when that LP came out, it, it became something like a, a, a phenomenon. Yeah, I agree. But what I'm what I guess I'm trying to say is I believe that it's like, you know, a thousandfold to even when they existed. Because I do agree with you that that record is one of those cornerstone records of people like you and I's, you know, generation, Damien and I, to be specific. Not, not to, you know, Dave. Dave is of the of the the golden generation of pioneer people who saw the good stuff when it came out. We're a bit later, but I think this is a, one of those bands that, like Operation Ivy, like regardless of your opinions on what came out of that that genre that they kind of like create, they're one of those bands that like. You know, like, if you were around at the time, like, you were into, like, I remember, like, they were, like, the one band that I liked that some of the older hardcore kids would be, like, yeah, they were, they were good. Like, every other band was, like, no, that shit sucks. That shit sucks. Yeah, I I think that's accurate. I, I don't know that I encountered anybody, certainly in my formative years of sort of getting interested in this music, that wasn't interested in that group. And even people I talk to now, like I can't say I've listened to this record in a good long, long while. But you know, I would wouldn't object to hearing it. Wouldn't object to throwing it on even. So that's a good thing for me. I I always forget how punk they were. You know, like I always think of them as having like you know I think of Unity or something. You know, and like yeah, uh, Bank Shot, like these songs. But then you're actually listening to it. You're like, oh, there's like a lot of like just fast kind of punk songs. Yeah. I think the songs are good. My, my other point was, if this band had progressed and like done like didn't go away, what what would the world be like? Would there not be a rancid, and what would that would the vacuum have then been Op Ivy instead of rancid? This is my my question to you, Dame. What would that world look like? It'd be a weird one because like then you got to wonder if like Green Day would have had like you know like let's say they let's say they somehow take off in like ninety right they get signed in eighty nine. And they're like, they somehow take off at the same time as like Nirvana's taking off, which doesn't seem possible, but let's say it does because sonically they're very different. <laughs> but let's say they do. Yeah. Like that would have like, that would have changed that whole like, you know, punk explosion that happens a few years later, like four years later, I guess, five years later with Operation Ivy, or sorry, with Green Day, Offspring and, and uh, Rancid. Yeah, agreed. In I this think everything else you're world, saying is spot on. In this Elseworld timeline, you know, like, is there a no doubt? Like, does everything change? <laughs> Good question. Do Op Ivy play SNL? That's another thing. That's true. Trump's not president in this timeline. <laughs> now well, you sold me on it, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> But anyway, we also which, don't have Netflix in this timeline, so it's not all good, Dave. It's true. <laughs> I'd still trade well it. Said. I'd still trade it. I'd still trade it. 
Um, <laughs> it's uh, no, it's 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 like a, a weird. It's like a weird record to kind of think about as like, or the, I mean, the LP and the Seven Inch, but like, those are like those records where it's like, okay, well then after this, everything's slightly different. Like, you know, it comes up time and time again, but Devo is one of those bands that like, you know, you can't picture a pre-Devo world without Devo's influence or post-Devo world, I should say, without Devo's influence. Yeah, I agree. I, I think you're accurate though in what you described earlier. Like, I think it's of a certain generation. Op Ivy is like a is a is as as much of a given as like a Minor Threat or a Misfits to m- almost I would say the vast majority of people that get interested in this music. And I'm just looking at I'm of course on the resource right now, looking at the pressing run of the seven inch. And did you know that it was reissued as a twelve inch? What? Yeah. No. Yeah, it comes with a weird. Book. Yeah, and I guess one of them is a Hot Topic exclusive, so it shows I'm not doing enough shopping at Hot Topic. But yeah, yeah like I've never seen these 12 inch versions of it. Oh yeah, look at that, huh? And Hellcat did it. Wow. And Hellcat. Well, because like ultimately, they're one of the last records that left Lookout. I think, right? Them in Green Day. Yeah, they yeah they ultimately did take the records back, but yeah. it took a while. And you got to think like at a certain point that was probably floating the operation, <laughs> like just oh good, there's another crop of punk kids and everyone's going to buy another press run of Energy, and then we're we're yep. good for the next little while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess we should dive into today's episode. Uh, does anyone want to take a point? Wherever you guys want to start. One of you two go. Well, I think we were talking about it off air. What a fucking incredible run of shows Jesse got to see early on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. I just remember all the band names. I can't remember which were the each, like each show. I'm looking through the list here, and it's the Eastern Front one that he mentions, I guess, which was the... Like, the fact that you saw The Fix is insane. It's insane. Like, the Fix is insane to me. Like, like that, that Fix West Coast tour, which has now come up a couple weeks in, in sequence almost, uh, is, like, one of the ultimate mythical tours. Yeah. I mean, I can't even... Quant- like, we never had a chance. I don't know. So I don't even know how to talk about it, but yeah, it would be insane. Mm-hmm. I wonder, like, I did guess... you ever? Did you? Go on. Sorry, go on. No, you go on. I was going to say one of the things I was going to mention with this is again another. Like I've encountered so many people now, or you've heard them say it, or you and I even talking to, as we mentioned before at the Discord house, like the DOA love. Yeah. For people of a certain generation that were able to see them, and and I would say that whatever, eighties, like I, I'm gonna guess early eighties, mid eighties, like everybody to a person talks about how they absolutely slayed, and it's I just it's not ever like that's not it's not to say that they're not you know they're still a, an absolutely great band especially historically but. This is not the band that I believe that the generationally that Damien, you and I were able to catch, which just seems so insane to me. Yeah, but like, you know, even then, they're one of those bands that, and like, they might have had some weaker moments on record, definitely, but like, they never got terrible. 
No, I agree with that. But I, I just mean it's still like the phenomena of like yeah. you know, how many times have you and I been able to see them? Yeah. And, you know, at no at no point in the last, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 years has it ever been like that that people talk about them as the greatest live punk band ever? Yeah. Yet everybody from the 80s is like, no, they killed everybody. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think I think at the time the gulf between you know, like a fully functioning band um, that, you know, really concentrated on their live show and all the bands opening for them was pretty wide. Mm-hmm. So they would just come in and like get up there and just play and not stop. And, and you know, and, you know, while their opening bands were like, I broke a string. Uh, <laughs> hold on. You know, like, yeah. So yeah. they've just, they were so much better than than all those other bands as a live band. Even the Misfits, like you well, listen to those so, Misfits bootlegs from back then, they kind of sucked live. I'll have to report back after next Saturday. <laughs> oh, you're going to the show? Oh, Dave! Of course I'm going. Oh, look nice. at this, Mister Mister VIP got a ticket to the hottest show in town. Did you have to get? Uh, did you have to have David upright you like a, a pass for New Jersey to get in? No. <laughs> the, um, he, they just, you know, somebody laid over the barbed wire, and I just waltz right over top of them. <laughs> oh, I am so. We, I could. I want a review of that show so badly, Dave. Like as quickly as you can, please. Um, when we when we go <laughs> but off, I'm air, only going to review. Okay. <laughs> I'm only going to review Murphy's Law and Suicidal Tendencies. <laughs> well, well, we, also, if go on. No, I was going to say when we go off air, I've got I've got some hot news about this show, but it's it's too hot for the the airwaves. So oh, I will tell you guys okay. some off air stuff about that. Too hot for TV. Too hot for TV. Uh, I want to know that they play Brain Eaters, and uh, I want to know how many times they play it. That's my main concern. <laughs> I just, well. to, like, I just want you to every yell third song. Yeah, I know. I just want you to yell, Dave, American Psycho, play American <laughs> Psycho, like just the whole way through the show. <laughs> um, it sounds like bones. we're making fun of the misfits. That, that's not what we're doing. But yes, um, I think I think maybe Brain Years has become my favorite song ever. Is what I'm trying to communicate here. <laughs> Truly, I um, well, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> thank you, Dave. Yes, I do have you to thank. I now have it on wax to spin and get very psyched every time it comes up. <laughs> I, I, but I, I think that's the thing is like, it, like you're saying, Dave. Like DOA probably didn't stop in between songs. They probably just kicked ass the whole time. And like, meanwhile, like the Misfits, who have some of the greatest recorded legacy ever out of punk rock, but when you hear those sure. live bootlegs, it just seems like uh, they, there's definitely. You know, it it probably was incredible to see live, but you know, it maybe wasn't as sonically as good as those studio records. I think no, I think that's a good point. I never, I never, uh, and it makes complete sense, Dave, what you were mentioning. I just did never factored it because for me, it's just you know when you have acts like you've seen, you know, a lot of bands have been have carried on for a very very long time. So obviously there's going to be a difference than, you know, when they're in their 20s or teens as opposed to like when they're, you know, in their 50s. Yeah. It's just, a you know, it's the way it goes. But 
I, it's just so bizarre. It would be, you know, I guess what I, I'll give you another example using a Canadian example again. Uh, a group like SNFU, right? Yeah. Which even gets mentioned in this interview with Jesse, where he he basically says that you know, Chai Pig is one of the you know the greatest front people, or whatever. And I wholeheartedly agree. I think yeah. he's an incredible showman and uh, show person. But um, they are a group. I would see in the 90s, and I would even see up to like 2000 or a little after 2000, and they were always great. Yeah, yeah, like you they, could tell. They were always – yeah, so it's not to say that you know it's no shade at DOA by any means, but it's just – it's amazing to hear these tales from people consistently, and it's just – it's like the group that I – it's like a group I don't – I know the group, but it's like the group I couldn't experience. It's, it's frustrating. Yeah. That's well, what I'm trying to communicate. I think also by the time we were seeing DOA, like they were playing – kind of like legit clubs, you know, and yeah. it's hard as a mic stand band to kind of like go off in a club type setting too, like versus when you see them on like a step stage. I don't know. I just remember like the first time I saw them, they were like kind of like a big band, like marijuana motherfucker was getting some airplay with the censored version, I think on the radio. Um, and they were like, uh, you know, like they did two nights at the Rivoli, I think. It was incredible, but uh, yeah, like I know what you're saying. Like, it just like every single person that's on this podcast that saw them back then is was like they were the number one band. Yeah, I mean, shy of like say like the 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 um, the rep is is not. I mean, maybe maybe slightly less than like the Bad Brains, but yeah. that's huge praise. Like, it's literally like they're like the number two for like so many people, which you know. I just find so amazing and like such a strange phenomenon that I wish I could have experienced. Anyway, that was uh, anyway. Go on. No, I think I think it's a great point because like I think also we grew up with them, right? Like they were like the band that you know they weren't our, from our local scene, but they would come through, and so you, you kind of yep. took them for granted a little bit. It was only like when someone's like, "Have you ever heard Hardcore '81?" I'm like, "No," and they're like, "Oh, you gotta. This band is important." This band invented the genre, you know. Yeah, it, that's very true because I definitely didn't hear Hardcore '81 first. <laughs> yeah, no. This isn't it. the uh, best show, whatever that dude is, the, the <laughs> skit that I love. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is definitely not. We were the guys that got into it all backwards. Um, yes. But also, like, it's funny when you think about the San Francisco bands, like Lude when they moved down there, Sick Pleasure, Flipper. Uh, you got like a kind of like a, a real antisocial bend to the punk rock that's coming out of SF. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I agree. Dave, do you have any thoughts at the time of those groups? Um, no, I mean, there's always been like a real antagonistic vibe to the Bay Area. I mean, it's just, you know, I think just a magnet for freaks and misfits and. <laughs> And then when you think about the freaks and misfits within the freaks and misfits, you get a pretty special uh, type of people. Yeah, like it, it's <laughs> funny because like you know it's certainly a, a city that has that reputation for peace, love, and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, oh yeah, there's also like Anton Lavey and Manson and and crime. Like I mean, the band and actual the act of crime too. Uh, <laughs> And then, like, Flipper, Lewd, and Sick Pleasure. <laughs> it's not all no, true. peace, love, and understanding. Well, I think, though, that, yeah, I think 
I mean, I, I think it's a lovely city, actually, but I definitely think there's a darkness. <laughs> Just like, you know, it's it's you know similar to like a New York thing. Like a lot of people love New York and it represented a thing, but there was a darkness to the city that these groups came out of. So, yeah, or when they went there, they turned into, if dare I say. So, yeah, Flip, Flippers won, though, I think <laughs> were uniquely antisocial regardless. I think the formula for their music is particularly provoking or whatever or or like uh it's like daring daring someone to like the music yeah which i think is is the is even more you know whatever against the grain than than some of the groups you mentioned in particular are they the most shocking band to ever get a major label deal <laughs> i don't know that's a good question um like- i don't know like, do you do you see him on that major label run, Dave? I did not. No, I've never seen them. You've never seen them? Uh, no, no. I um, I arrived after they played uh, with, when David Yao sang for them. When but, did David um, Yao sing for them? Yeah, I didn't know that. That was, that was like two or three years ago. Oh, crazy! Yeah. You know? Oh, recently. Weird. They've had like some celebrity filled lineups. You know, like Chris Novoselic joined the band. Yeah, for that while, yeah. but somehow he escapes their Discogs page. He's not yeah. listed as. I mean, <laughs> it seems like a no-brainer. Like if you were offered to join Flip to become a member of Flipper, like you should say yes. Yeah, <laughs> there's no way this is going to go. That is true. Forward. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have a, I have another uh, another uh, sort of observation or hot take. Do you not feel like? Flipper was the most idealized version of what, say, Diva were actually trying to do but didn't achieve. No. no I, w- I would say the other way, maybe. <laughs> I like hard no from Dave right away. I mean, I, I don't see them as, as that related, um, it, you know. Um, I mean, maybe some sort of just like you know, some sort of bad vibe exorcism uh, <laughs> starting both of them or something, you know, like, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, no, I'm going to stick with no. <laughs> um, there's a uh, Dave, I'm going to follow up with a follow up question about flipper. Um, and I know this probably predates your time. How did the Matador deaf America, uh, split flipper seven inch come about Do you think? Uh, that was, I think, 100% Johan, but definitely before my time. Yeah. But yeah, uh, um, I think Johan really pushed for it. Because didn't he become the, he became like the NR dude for Deaf America, too. Well, yeah, you know, and, and they gave him, that's how he got his own label. Yeah. Like, you know, he he left Matador to to work for Deaf America and uh, and. You know, he was involved in uh, the reissue label Infinite Zero, but then they also gave him Onion Records. So was uh, that was that yeah. like a that's like the transition record? Where he's like, I'm going to put out this record, and then I'm going to go with the record. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would imagine that's what started the relationship. And also crazy how Domino also put out a Flipper record. Which flip? What? generic single 2009 wow 
which is our favorite format on footnotes, a 10 inch record. <laughs> that had come out as a different format prior to, right? It must have. I don't. Well, it says it was a CDR, and it says. Well, the original album, right? But, like, I thought it was a single before that, too. No, it was just the LP that was only that. It's on the 10 inch, it has two versions of Sex Bomb and Brainwash, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what the differences are. I don't obviously don't have this, but the CD, this is even funnier. The 10 inch has those three songs. Like I was listing CDR sex bomb, one track. <laughs> Domino, you know, they had to send it out to radio. Yeah. Couldn't fit the length. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say Domino is like low key, like a, like a secret punk label. A hundred percent. Like Lawrence thanked on the blitz seven inch. First release was Leatherface. <laughs> But still, like Loki putting out, like you know, flipper still. <laughs> I like the idea of the distinction that you've created. I've heard you say it a bunch of times, and it always makes me amused. Is that the secret punk tag? I, yes, I think it's very accurate in this case. Well, you know, like they don't play it up too often with that label. Like you don't, you don't see them like waving the the punk flag very often. But then when you go through, and you're like, oh yeah, you put out a Leatherface record. Oh yeah, this like this other shit, you know. Yeah, I agree. How does this label? Wait, what was this label in the beginning? Widja? Anyway, this is we're getting way distracted from the Jesse Michaels episode. This yeah, the, yeah, yeah. This is a problem yeah. with footnotes. We get get too caught up sometimes. All right, <laughs> back away from Flipper, back into uh, the the party that is the Jesse Michaels episode. Um, that wasted youth show sounds ridiculous. Yeah, the, the fact that he knew who threw the bottle is hilarious, too. <laughs> or the urban legend of that, I should say. Yeah. Well, there's a, you know, like, you will go down in infamy. If you do that at a show, you'll probably go down in infamy. Every show I was at yeah, where someone threw a bottle at the stage, I remember who threw it. If I saw it. I was just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is a good point. I agree. <laughs> I only know of one incident, but yes, I don't know, but I know you know who threw it, and that's all I can remember. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, like it's one of those things that, like, when you see someone throw a bottle, and also just like to throw a bottle, you've got to know it's going to hurt someone. Like, you yeah. pick that thing up. Don't do that. You know it's going to hurt someone when you throw it. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. There's no, no positive outcome to throwing a bottle. True. That I can think of. <laughs> very true. <laughs> yes. Unless unless it's at so a, what like was a, the point? A, the bottle. Unless it's at a monster, or it's like, <laughs> or it's like, oh, you know. Anyway, but that that was my point. That way, see, you show sounded fucking crazy. What's crazy about it, even more hearing him talk about that idea of the bottle being thrown, is that perhaps that's the only time you ever got to see them, and. He basically didn't get to see them because of it. Yeah, which in hindsight sucks. <laughs> yeah. Because the, you know that would be one you would want to put a feather in your cap over. I would think as far as catching one of those bands. But anyway, I don't, like I, I. It's funny because I was listening to him when I was putting together the playlist for the show. Oh, by the way, I put together a playlist for this episode. So <laughs> check that out. Are you caught up though? Are no, you caught up? I gotta go back listeners? and I gotta go back and do all the other ones still. <laughs> but I did this one uh, the other day, and I'm listening to Wasted Youth, and I'm like, man, no one really talks about this band. Like they don't really get kind of brought up 
in, with the same reverence that a lot of bands from that era kind of do. And that record's fucking awesome. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Reagan's in classic, but yeah. uh, I agree. For whatever reason, it doesn't... It, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think, like, you know... I don't know why either, because didn't Pusset do the cover of that too and everything? It's got Pusset art on the cover. I think it's got like an egg yeah. clover draw. No, someone, someone cool did the photo on the back. It's got like an iconic photo on the back. You know, it's got, it, the songs are catchy. I don't know. I don't know why they've like, why they haven't been kind of, you know, taken to that upper echelon of uh, punk bands. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I agree with that. I, I don't know. This record in particular, yeah, even uh, yeah, it even has that stage dive photo. That's right. Maybe because yeah. it went metal. I don't. Know. Yeah, I was about to bring that up. Um, I do think that that could have a lot to do with it. Um, it doesn't hurt SSD though and DYS in the same way. Um, I think DYS it did. I don't know what SSD. I think SSD or a bigger, seemingly yeah, a bigger I animal. Mean, I mean, Reagan's in is no kids will have their say, um, or even you know the first DYS record. I agree with that. I like it more than the first DYS record. I disagree. Well, you that. also like the second <laughs> DYS. Record. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the second. I think, I think the second Thank DYS you, record is pretty sick. I don't like it more than the first one. I'm saying if <laughs> Choke had sang the songs, I think it could have been the better record. Like, and I do like Dave yeah, Smalley's voice, but like I think Choke singing those songs, like, like, like it would be, I don't know, just a different beast. <laughs> first, first record, first record. Touching back in departure records now. But I don't know, perhaps, yeah, like, the idea that because they changed, I don't know, maybe that affects it in a weird way. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, you know, this, the other record is like, it's just like cut rate suicidal or something um, is what it looks like. I've never um, heard this record. Black Days, never heard yeah. it. Oh, you know what? I ha- well, I haven't heard it, but I did. I have flipped by it once. Yeah, it's cover. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I would say that um, they that they were too wasted and lacked focus, uh, and you know. One of them should have been like, dudes, what about our legacy? <laughs> we got to think about it. So years from now, there'll be these guys talking late into the night about our band. And like, they're going to have questions and I want them to have the right answers. Yeah. <laughs> Another also, thing that- actually, I would say the gap between, um, between records, like, uh, you know, they probably just weren't functioning enough. Yeah. It's funny, you know, though, like, certain yeah. scenes are, like, so high-functioning and other scenes aren't, right? Like, it, it, like Los Angeles, like, we, you know, this comes up, like, there's that weird dead period where it looks like all, like, a lot of the music coming out of that city is just gone, you know? And it's, like, got such a huge population. But then you look at D.C., that shit never happened there. Well, no. I mean, it's a much smaller city with a much more concentrated scene and uh, and a very high functioning record label. Um, that you know, even if you weren't on it, it was like it was 
fair part of making a record and putting it out of the world was very like a very public thing for most of those people mm-hmm. you know yeah, yeah. like it, you know if you weren't if you weren't on discord like they made it very apparent that you could just do it yourself i've kind of you know one of my theories about Toronto has been because, like, Toronto had, like, some great hardcore bands, but never really had, like, like the the insane hardcore scene that some cities had, you know, or, like, the, the breadth of bands that some cities had, I should say. And I've always thought it was because maybe success was so close at hand, right? Like, there's a music industry here. So, like, it wasn't like, you know, there was no hope of ever making it as a band, so you might as well just be the type of band you 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 want to be like here that like you know it's like well why don't we become a new wave band or well, why don't we start playing metal you know there's just like there's real opportunities here that exist because it is like a major major media market town sure and maybe that doesn't happen in some places like dc versus los angeles yeah yeah. Well, of course, Wasted Youth could have just been like, let's get wasted. They could have just been like, let's get wasted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they also said, fuck authority, which, you know, never goes well, because we all know the authority <laughs> always wins. Um, authority, <laughs> no more. No more. Uh, I like also the idea that he, he read Flipside cover to cover, but Max and Rock and Roll couldn't do it. <laughs> Love that. Loved it. <laughs> Loved his quote specifically. That it was yeah. too boring. <laughs> pretty, pretty classic. Love that. Uh, have you, have you ever read everything in an issue of MRR? No, and it, and if somebody tells you they do, you should <laughs> yeah. like you make a little note that you know they're a special person. And <laughs> there's no yeah. way it's it's impossible. I don't believe anyone that says they do that. Do you remember if, if they ever had? I, I had an issue yeah. with the Misfits on the cover of MRR. Like one of the Misfits came back in the '90s, and they were on the cover of MRR, which is crazy to think about. Um, but I remember reading that issue, probably cover to cover, but I'm sure there's you know sections I skipped over. Whereas the Victory Magazine, I definitely read that cover to cover. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> I, I can concur with you on that one, actually, too, and I still own it. Um, I, I wonder if I have a magazine. I must have it. Oh. I think I have two. Okay, well, yeah. if you do, Chris, we've got to trade because that is uh, – No, is... no, I mean I don't have two of the same ones. I have oh. two different ones. Oh. I do not have an extra to trade. I'm sorry now to get your just, hopes up. Now you're just bragging. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't think I'd, you wouldn't have it. It's cool. Dave, have you ever – You guys lo- are losing me here. What was, what was in it? It was Victory Records Catalog. It was more or less, yeah, like a glorified catalog that had a bit of like a whatever, like a zine, not not even zine because it looked so like glossy '90s, yeah, '90s glossy, like you know, like a like a lowbrow magazine for Victory. I mean, did it have pictures of Tony? Oh yeah, and stuff. No, 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 no. Well, I I I don't offhand, I don't remember, but it was like had showcases of all the bands and like interviews with people. It, It was like you know what you would think. They also did, they had an article about the pressing history of of records for Victory at the time. True, yeah. And uh, it, it was they had interviews like Hatebreed before Hatebreed was on the label and Despair, yeah. which yeah. is you know the pre-terror band. Um, and it like so it had interviews with bands that weren't necessarily on the label or you know 
but it was just, uh, I don't know. How did you get it? Did they send it to you in the mail or did the stores have it? I'm trying to remember how I even I got believe, it. No, I didn't get it at the store. I believe it was when you mail ordered, but I don't remember. Yeah, because I have two. Um, I don't remember mail ordering all that much to Victory yeah, ever, but same. I definitely must have once. But the second, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I, I feel like maybe I did get the second one via because I was working at record stores then too. Maybe I somehow got one via that way. But um, yeah, it's just it's kind of neat in hindsight. And I mean, it looks there's a lot of it that's like got the atypical, like really terrible 90s graph design layout thing going on, like a lot of magazines, frankly, of that era, uh, including the ones we're discussing. But um, yeah, just I don't know. It's nothing you would probably be interested in, Dave. <laughs> no, you would, Dave. But, I could uh, see you wanting a Strife watch. <laughs> they they made like that's the thing about that catalog that's amazing is that they have merch for every yeah. band, but like every conceivable piece of merch that you could make yeah. at that time. And like that was at a time before bands were really doing that. Like if you had a sweatshirt, you were a pro core band. Agreed. You know. It was very eye-opening to get that and see the amount of things they had. Yeah, in the, in the like whatever in the mid '90s or whatever, thinking like, "Wow, this is a world I do not understand <laughs> entirely." Like, this is this thorough. Like, like you're saying, like it almost reminded me too, because Damien, you would definitely. Well, if you, I'm assuming you read the old uh, bringing up wrestling again, WWF magazine. Yes, where they also did the same thing. I felt like the Victory magazine was essentially just. Someone looking at the, the WWF magazine and just going, let's just do this exact same thing, but just do it for our label. And it's pretty close because I have copies of, uh, I still have copies of both of those things, sadly. It's pretty close. It's, it's, uh, I, I remember they also just had a wristwatch. They had X watch knockoffs, of course, like the Swatch X watch, Dave, but they also had one that oh, just, yeah. said, just said vegan on the face of it. Wow. It was like a vegan wristwatch. They had like, they had like the most, it was, I kind of, I, I want to just have it in my hands right now to flip through the merch. Like, though I would kill to have an integrity wristwatch now. So being that you have that request, I will fulfill the request for you. Uh, I have in my hands presently, volume one, issue one, victory magazine, skateboarding on the cover dame. Yep. Uh, but Interviews with transition John period, Joseph. Chris. That was the transition period before Punk <laughs> truly took its rightful crown. Yeah, the content is John Joseph uh, interview, Hatebreed, uh, Zorlock, Pro Skater, Rob Mertz, who's on the cover here, I believe. Despair, you were correct, Dan. That's a good memory. And lots of Victory Records bands. Don't even list them. And the complete discography, as you mentioned. And as far as the merch, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um,. It's oh also this is in color Dave too it's not just black and white <laughs> yeah we <laughs> um, but no yeah expense. within the first like toy box record full page ad uh, we distributed videos like VHS meaning uh, which is actually quite good it's not victory stuff centric it's like you know anyway so I think a lot uh, of that show was yeah. bootleg too though right or no. No, it seems like okay. it seems pretty legit. Like it's not. It's got like you know hated on here and the flip side video splits and uh, you know like cinema beer goggles and the sepultura of it. You know just all the things you would see at this time, which I guess are still around. 
But um, I don't know. Nothing much to report other than uh, what we kind of already described. But yeah. Well, Chris, you're burying it the does. lead on it. It does also feature amongst those bands. I believe it has a Baby Gopal interview. You know what? It's funny that that my mind didn't go there right away. I feel shame right now. But uh, I, w- I will confirm that for you in a moment. <laughs> so Dave, I'll look as you guys talk. Dave, are you familiar with the uh, Baby Gopal? Uh, only from footnotes, okay. uh, like I, I like I assume the rest of the world now. Uh, <laughs> you guys are spearheading the revival, and I guess I'd say it's working, right? It's starting. It's starting. Well, it's yeah. come up a few times on this show, so in that sense, it's starting. <laughs> like I think, yeah. I mean, <laughs> they uh, but also under just under distro books. Just a sidebar: they definitely have the Anarchist Cookbook in here. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> what other books are in the uh, Victory Records library? Um, it's got, let's see some of the ones they have. These are pictures, too. It's not just a list. It's got the Hunter S. Thompson Hell's Angel book. Yep. Uh, Anarchist Cookbook. It's got, let me see some of the other big ones. I mean, there's a bunch here. I'm just trying to get the good ones that give a, a really great picture. Died for a New America? It, surprisingly, no, none of those. But it has it has some actually good like not that those what I mentioned aren't good necessarily but um, it's got a weird like Kiss collectibles book yeah that's funny um, just like the typical oh, punk you centric the books it's got like that's long. the police you can hear in the background coming right now for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah blame uh, Victory magazine yeah. from whatever ninety eight I would think but uh, anyway <laughs> you order. You order yourself uh, Gamora Season End by Earth Crisis, The Anarchist Cookbook, and... They're coming the, to get you right now, Dame. The, no, <laughs> that Raid CD that they reissued. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to smoke the cops out. They're going to have to come find me through this haze of marijuana smoke. <laughs> yep. Um, apparently, you can listen to Baby Gopal on Spotify. So I'm just going to make a note of that for later. All yeah, right. thankfully you don't do the um, playlist for footnotes because it no. would just be just the Baby Gopal record. I can confirm right now that the Baby Gopal interview is in here, and uh, yeah, I'm going to read this directly after we finish this show again. <laughs> uh, okay, well, I guess we should move on to a point that is yeah. about uh, Baby Gopal. Um, I for, also. We're just going. really quickly for layout, it's directly it's full page. The the <laughs> the adjacent interview right beside it <laughs> is dead guy. <laughs> <laughs> so either whoever laid that out is a really great sense of humor, or they uh, <laughs> just just pure coincidence. But go on. They're like, let's put the bands that aren't selling as well back to together. I guess maybe I never thought of that, but yeah. Um, well, I guess we got to move on to another point. And I think Dave, we got to start talking some Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Have you seen Ford in Pittsburgh, by the way? Are you speaking of, um, uh, what is it? Uh, death, uh, um, debt begins at 20 or death begins at 20. I like Jesse actually sent me a whole blog post about it. And it's at, um, it's on the the Carnegie Museum of Art did a big yeah. thing about this um, at one point. 
but yeah, debt begins at twenty. You're right. That's that's yeah. the name of it, and that's the first one. Well, that's it's just it's just a movie that somebody made, um, you know, and uh, the dude in it is Billboard, um, Bill Von Hagen, but his punk name was Billboard. Uh, he was also he's a drummer. He was in the Cardboards. And then he was the original drummer of the Cynics. Oh, what were the Cardboards like? Yeah. Did they put in records? Yeah, the Cardboards are like that synth punk band. I don't think I have that Cardboard single. I know the Five. I know, but I don't know the Cardboards. Were uh, they on the yeah. same label? Okay. The TMI or whatever? No, 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 no. They put out their own record. Oh shit! Um, it's a it's a big money record now. Yeah, there's like um, a, there's a lot of crazy obscure records from Pittsburgh still. Yeah, the record is called Greatest Hits Volume 2. Okay. Um, let's see. You've got 289 American dollars. You could buy one on the on the resource. Uh, well, if it's on the resource, it can't be that obscure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I only, I only no, collect it's, records it's a, that aren't well on Discogs. No. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but, uh, yeah, so, um, and, oh, uh, the other thing about Bill Board is that he was also in what is often credited as Pittsburgh's first punk band, The Puke. Uh, and <laughs> that the site that Jesse sent you, I think, has has a link to some of the only Puke recordings, which are just live recordings. Yeah, he sent me actually another uh, website that, oh, he also cr- he sent me the book that he was talking about, the punk book that he got was punk rock and it's the virginia uh bush book boss what's her name? i can't really make it out virginia boston maybe yeah um, but it's that yeah. one it's, it's, i think it's that sue catwoman on the cover and her eyes have been colorized it's like a famous book you definitely recognize it but yeah it's like yinzer.net yeah. is this archive site yes it's just fucking crazy all the shit that's on here yeah 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 damn so, i mean Lots of lots of stuff, um, you know, um, like all that stuff, the cardboards and all that is that definitely predates me. I mean, I never, you know, I never saw Real Enemy, which is considered to be Pittsburgh's first hardcore band. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Mike Lavella's first band, and it's, um, who later went on to start Half Life. It's it's nuts how many bands came out of Pittsburgh like you know like for like the first wave there's like you know how many bands here like 50 bands oh I mean I guess let me um you know I haven't looked at that site in a while so but there's like a a stack you know and these are the bands that they're that are recorded I'm sure there's ones that aren't even on this list yeah I mean you know there's a lot of this stuff that like you know, like, well, the F model's not really from Pittsburgh, you know, um, and st- and you know, like the Hornets, you know, they weren't really punk. They, they may, maybe not even power pop, but um, but Jim Spitznagel from Jim's Records, uh, which was you know the best record store in the city, um, he was in the Hornets. You know, but, you know, stuff like that. Like now, the little wretches, stuff like that. You're like, at the time, we were just like, whatever. Um, 
some of those records sound fine, but, um, you know, at the time, you know, we didn't think of them as cool or anything like that. Like, but I think that's also like, there's so many records like that. Like even records that were before my time that I've kind of gone back to and been like, actually, this is an incredible scene. I should have been buying more of these records at, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I mean, obviously if you had, you know, your mindset then, you know, it's, it's just, it doesn't work that way. So. Well, one band that's not listed here, Dave, that I think is one of the great Pittsburgh bands is the Hank band. Do you know this 45? You, you love that Hank band record. Dude, no one, Um, it never comes up. (laughs) <laughs> still not on the cogs it's still not on the cogs yeah um you know that was um at least one of those records was put out by jim spitzenagel is it on public records i think it's self-released but no, I'm not gonna... yeah i don't know but they had a connection with jim's records oh, no, i mean no, uh, no you're uh, you are right it's on public records See, okay you're right. right but <laughs> Wait, but um he has more than uh, one single I think there are two Hank Band singles. I think, but don't quote me on that one. I don't. I'm going to have to. But it'd be great to make you think that you've you've got to track down another one. I know. I sold mine so long ago. Um, You know, it was just taking up space that I, you know, um, I don't even really remember it. But you sure do love it. I do love that record. (laughs) I do love that record. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those ones that uh, you know is just. It, it, oh, there, no, it is on Discogs now. All right. Well, I, oh, there you go. But there I is a second single. It. It's a second single from 83. That's like a different oh. single. Oh, man. Well, I got to get yeah, this see? one. See, you got some. You, yeah, you have a new purpose in life. Yep. Spending $25 on Discogs. No, don't do that. <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> Uh, but like what was uh, so you you did see some of these bands that Jesse played in right oh sure sure like I said I don't think I saw Outlash maybe I did but if I did I don't remember it but I definitely saw him play drums for Necropolis Um, (laughs) which is the best one yeah yeah Um, and and he's he's correct he's he wasn't a great drummer um, and they they wanted to be like a metal band, mm. you know, um, and and uh, so uh, the guy he mentioned Spar Spar Schmidt he was he's the singer of Necropolis, and uh, and Spar like you know he was somebody that I knew like more to see than to like actually talk to for a long time, um, and uh, you know. Uh, he's he's a really amazing person, though. Like, can you know, was like one of the most pivotal people in the Pittsburgh scene throughout the mid to late '80s and most of the '90s. Like, just absolutely one of the most essential people. You know, made so many things happen. Always positive. You know, just fantastic person. So, so somebody should. Uh, I mean, as far as not easy to contact, but somebody should uh, reissue some of those Necropolis uh, demos because they were all really great, too. So So you said that your message, they have no demo, like they had no records, they had just demos. Just demos, yeah. I think there were 
three. Yeah, I think this is three official or four. demos on metal, uh, metal encyclopedia or whatever that thing is. There's a yeah. listing for I think four demos or something. Yeah, three or four. And yeah. So it's one of those things where you know we live in this era of all the reissues, but there's still so much stuff. Oh, still yeah, yeah. Maybe so could and should get that reissue. Yeah. Also, Pittsburgh's yeah. another place where there is that kind of consistent scene the whole way through, right? Like, there's not really a period well, where it's not, I don't know, you'd know better than me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's weird. Uh, there's definitely, uh, you know, very distinct eras. You know, like, the Electric Banana was a weird blessing and curse. You know, it was a really consistent venue for a long time. You know, and when you think back, like... You know the fact that it existed and shows happened there on a on a pretty regular basis was great, but also like maybe it kept somebody from creating something much cooler and you know, um, yeah. So when when finally in like the last days of the electric banana, things kind of that was a real like just a real sort of like line in the sand or, or, or whatever when, you know, certain people just, you know, did other things and went other places and shows then just happened wherever they could happen. And, you know, I mean, new venues did, did happen, but, um, but maybe, you know, and maybe it was also, you know, into the nineties then and grunge happening and all that sort of stuff. And maybe it was just inevitable that it would splinter. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it used to sort of be, you know, one main venue with occasional shows at other places for most types of music that that weren't, you know, commercially viable. Mm. But, like, you know, in, in even after that scene, right, there's, like, that whole, like, anti-flag, submachine, uh, kind of God Squad... Was that what God's Us rotten. Bad jeans. Oh yeah, yeah. No, oh all that stuff, yeah. No. It like I I checked out uh, around then. Yeah. You know? I, I know a lot of those folks, but um as far as going to those shows, I didn't go to those shows that much. But yeah, there was um there was definitely like a a, a maybe even more vibrant uh scene, you know, definitely more vibrant in lots of ways. Mm. Um so like, I guess but, cynics, like, in terms of, sorry, go on. Oh, the cynics that that was you know definitely before. like us. Well, before, but also like separate. Yeah, you know. But I was going to say they, they were very. They, they tore out right, like so. It's like bands were getting out of Pittsburgh too. Oh sure, sure. I mean, you know, I mean, tons of bands. You know, I mean, Half Life. They did one U.S. tour that was a mini disaster. They didn't actually finish at one point. They were just like, we just have to go home, you know. But they made it to the West Coast, and they played a bunch of shows there, but they just weren't able to, like, get enough shows to actually play their way home. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, after that, you know, the Cynics toured the U.S. Um, a bunch. But then, you know, then you have bands like Osrotten and, and, you know, who toured everywhere all the time you yeah. know probably you know did more to you know would i would say somebody listening to this podcast probably has a higher 
chance of having seen them than any of these bands we're talking about. I think uh, they definitely have a higher chance of seeing a patch of Osron. <laughs> yes. Like that. <laughs> that yeah. uh, they're, they're one of those bands that I, I like, I love like so much, but it is unbelievable when you think about how many, uh, well, first seven inches they sold on Havoc. Like I think that's like 30,000 they said was pressed that. I think that's like, we went through that's this one time on an early Discogs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or sorry, early Discogs dive on footnotes, but but more than that, it's just like God, like how many patches of Osrot have have kids bought without even hearing the record <laughs> potentially? Well, yeah, I mean they, I mean it's like branding. Yeah, you know, take that anybody who went to you know uh, went to school for marketing. <laughs> And now it's like, now if you designed a Crush shirt, there's like a 50% chance that one day it's going to wind up, you know, on a musician you don't like. If you design a crap, a patch or a button, there's a chance it's going to show up on a musician you're not a fan of at some point. So, Yes. Uh, yeah. 2018 are weird times. Uh, we've got, we've been talking for a long time, guys, and it's a, a very late night, but uh, should we, we could... Man, there's so much more to get to on this fucking thing. Um, yeah, real quick. Um, his first instinct on social distortion was correct. Not a good band. <laughs> Don't pay attention. <laughs> uh, I, uh, um, I, I, like, I like a couple couple tracks. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, just rewatch Another State of Mind. It's all right there for you. It's all you need to know. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah. Dave, bring, Dave, bringing the heat every every time he's on the show. <laughs> Dave, truth bombs. Yeah. Um, other quick points. Um, oh, the create a punk kid. Yeah, awesome. That was amazing. Yeah, That's, that was so awesome. And also, uh, I, sorry, go on. I just want to say, anyone listening to this right now, you, your goal, like your task for this coming week create a punk kid <laughs> see a kid that's you know like you're like what's going on and then you're like i'm gonna make him punk um if you're an adult though see don't approach a st- child and tell them you're gonna make them into <laughs> a, a punk. <laughs> what's Very wrong true. with that it's just Very it's true. just like uh <laughs> that shit that played in the 90s when i realized now like oh man as a young person i had a lot of adult friends like but yeah. now i don't know yeah. if it flies as well uh, you know, I mean, it still happens to a certain extent. It's, it still I, I happens. Some young people. Yeah, but like, you know? but like, I don't know. I was like, I think back to it now. It's like, I wonder what's going to happen when my kids are like thirteen and they start bringing home their like forty-year-old friends <laughs> to trade records. It's weird because you're. I mean, you're already a lost cause. So like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that forty-year-old friend would be like yo your dad's fucking weird dude <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah oh i can't wait for that to happen but go on yeah yeah um, um and another quick point uh journey or the worst band of all time <laughs> don't stop believing <laughs> I will not stop believing that. <laughs> They're the worst. I always, 
always hated them. The worst band ever. Uh, I mean, and like I said, I mean, obviously they were a Bay Area band, so probably, you know, like there was maybe a sense of hometown town pride or whatever. But in Pittsburgh, you just like you couldn't escape them. Like they were escape, yeah. Who who still can't escape that song? (laughs) Who who's the worst Bay Area band for you then, Dave? Is it is it Journey or is it the Dead? A journey, journey. Um, You know, obviously, I've created a world for myself where I, like, I mean, it's sort of they all made me who I am, and I created a world that has very, very little to do with. (laughs) journey yeah like almost never comes into my life and i you know obviously should have been like a little bit more vigilant about the dead because <laughs> the amount of <laughs> the wading through of grateful dead stuff that i have to do in my daily life is just obscene <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just wasn't paying enough attention. I didn't. Uh, I I wasn't vigilant enough. Yeah, so, but di- by far, by far, Journey are a thousand times worse. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'll start talking about Jer any day before I would ever <laughs> fuck with some Journey. <laughs> Short form. Nice. What would you do, Dave, if at one point there's like an indie rock box set of like 50 bands doing Journey covers? Oh. I, I would put them all on a special list and just be like, fuck you guys forever. <laughs> yeah. It could happen. You know, like when you would... Yeah, I'll believe me, it could. <laughs> you know, but when you'd see a band and they'd like start playing a song as a joke, it's just like, like, how did it get this far? Yeah, you know, something like that. <laughs> uh, well, on the, I feel like I feel like Dave's occupying my territory right now. It's great. <laughs> I'm really enjoying it know, from pa- a it's from a bystander. Uh, I gotta say, because it came up a lot, I love Crimp Shrine so much. Well, I guess I'm alone. This is a band. No, no, they've come up before, and I just, I've never gotten deeply into them. I have no beef for them. You know, it's a weird thing. I felt that the box set kind of uh, came and went without much uh, fanfare. Yeah, it did. Um, Obviously, you know, very off-brand for Numero. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Even even post white zombie box numero, um, but I, I I was surprised that it didn't get more attention. Yeah, like it's you know? it's it's weird how that band, but they were like they're, they they to me are like an, a truly obscure band to kind of get that box set treatment. Like people that love them obviously love them, <laughs> but purely obscure band who are like ground zero for you know, culture changing events. Like, I don't understand what the problem is, you know, mom, people, what the fuck? Yeah. Well, you're like, like, I mean, when you break it down, it's just like, Oh, like, so if you're into any of that stuff came after it, um, like direct after, you know, any, I don't understand why. Yeah. it, It amazes me that people aren't, you know, constantly talking about them. I agree with that, even though I didn't get into that band much, but I know what you're saying. I agree. 
agree wholeheartedly yeah. with that. For a second there, so, I thought I, DOA I, you know, was on uh, was on Numero Group, but it's a different DOA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, the other record that struck me, um, Spike gets mentioned, and um, so as a prominent Pittsburgher, we was um, at most shows and always funny, always, you know, uh, quite a funny person who has obviously gone on to have uh, quite an interesting uh, punk rock career. But I remember I saw him uh, when Sweet Baby played in Pittsburgh. And and it's like, hey, Dave. And I was like, oh, man, what are you doing here? Like, I'm on tour with Sweet Baby. And I, I don't think I had... I don't think I realized that he had actually moved away from Pittsburgh. And I was like, really? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, in San Francisco, I'm on tour with them. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Oh, you know. But that Sweet Baby record is another one that doesn't really... you. It didn't, like... It was reissued a couple years ago, and it just seems like a record that should... Um, people should sweat a bit more than they do. Mm-hmm. But they don't seem to. Yeah, when he brought him up, I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, like that band. I totally not, I don't think I've thought of him since, like, I don't know, the 90s. Yeah, no. Um, but uh, when did that, uh, 2015, somebody, Eccentric Pop Records, um, which I guess is a good enough description of, uh, what, you know. <laughs> what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. But Lookout reissued it even. In, now that I'm looking at it, well, yeah, look out reissued it's a in Ruby the nineties. Yeah, it was on Ruby. Yeah, which, you know, <laughs> I don't think Christie really had anything to do with it. Yeah, it's so weird that was um, like that's gonna be one of the last records on Ruby, right? I think so. Like, and at that time, you know, it was just a weird name. It wasn't Christie had it did have nothing to do with it. Yeah, as far as. Well, apparently they're putting out records as recently as this year. Yeah. Okay. Well, start the revival, people. <laughs> Ruby Records. Yeah. There's a uh, prayers, an electronic dark wave record came out on Ruby. It's the same Ruby, got the same logo. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Wow. So, which is rough. Yeah. Man. Like the Soul Rhythm Supper Club. Uh, <laughs> first thing when you look up Ruby. Pretty rough. Field trips there, Misfits Walk Among Us, Dream Syndicate, Gun Club. They had a pretty good run, Ruby. Oh, yeah. No, the best. Like, yeah. A lot of seminal records coming out here. And as we know, that Misfits record contains the best Misfits song of all time. How's it go, Chris? (laughs) I'm not going to ever sing it, but it's... uh... (laughs) Everyone knows how it goes. It's brain ears. It's the fan favorite. <laughs> the fan favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Get ready to hear 30,000 people screaming that song along with you, I, Dave. Dave, honestly, if there is video evidence of like crowd chanting complete lyrics like uh, like a fully realized version of the recorded song, there's nothing you know, I want. I would gladly pull out my cell phone and start recording, however... <laughs> cell phones are not allowed. Oh, they're, wow. They're, yeah, I think they're making you put them in a bag, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-oh. Got to put that shit in the bag. So what you're telling me is you're just going to have to describe it to me. 
Yes, in great detail. And then Glenn said, (laughs) (laughs) this one's for Chris. How is, if honestly, if Danzig shouted out Brain Eaters to me, I would, it might be a top. I don't know. It wouldn't beat that day in DC with Damien, but it'd it'd be very, it'd be right underneath. I think above there's a guy, much. there's a guy who realized the brilliance of this song. <laughs> this one goes out to him. <laughs> oh, the question is: Are the Daves going to be both in attendance? That's what I want to know. Uh, I don't think David up. I don't no. know. Maybe maybe they'll fly him in. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the governor of New Jersey would fly. Yeah, they're gonna let, go. are they going to let schools out early that yeah. day? <laughs> it's Misfits Day in New Jersey, everyone. Go home. Oh, celebrate. Yeah. Oh, 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 that is so good. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Seriously, I can't wait. Brain eaters, please. Just brain eaters. <laughs> Even just a picture of the set list and it's on it would be enough for me, honestly, Dude, at this point. But if, if he pulls out his cell phone, Dan's is gonna break his thumbs. No, I don't. I don't mean him. I mean like the you know them or the oh. like the the celeb people that like get the backstage treatment and they do the little like you know catch a catch a snap, but uh, or someone just grabs the set list after. But yeah, the photo line yeah. in New York is going to be ridiculous, like that, <laughs> like that. What all the photos that came out of them from uh, Riot Fest, like it was like a who's who, but I'm just picturing who's going to be in this New York uh, oh, photos. <laughs> It's gonna John be awesome. McEnroe. John McEnroe, <laughs> Governor Chris Christie. Fucking John former, McEnroe's there. Former Governor Chris Christie. <laughs> oh my God, it'd be amazing. Elliot Spitzer, Baba Boo, uh, and he'll be shirtless yeah. with the armband. Yeah, yeah. Chris <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I bet you, I bet you, I bet you, he could make you know kind of a half-ass devil lock. Yeah, probably. <laughs> got enough to make that. Yeah. That's like a natural when you're. First born and when you're balding, that's your best time for the devil lock. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Uh, all my kids have had devil locks. Oh. And I'm sure I could grow one it, in some form. <laughs> uh, this uh, this could go on forever, guys. Because, but could. I, I think could. we do have to call it a night at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. We're hitting the wall. Go on. <laughs> does anyone... Chris, uh, that wants to get in touch with us, how would they go about doing that? You can reach us at turnedoutuponfootnotes at gmail.com. There is a playlist for this episode. Uh, find it over at uh, Spotify, and then hopefully people add it to other places. But it's a fun one. There's so much more we should have been able to talk about on this episode, but unfortunately my blathering and some other people's blathering as well. Uh, has prevented us from doing that. <laughs> but uh, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And Dave, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Well, you are welcome any and every time you want to make your presence felt on the Turn It Punk footnotes airwaves. Okay. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> A real awkward way for me to end it. (laughs) Everyone, (laughs) we'll see you next week. Oh, and next week, uh, it's Tom from Slow. So it's a, a, this is a wild one. I've never met someone that I got along so well with that had such a different opinion about what makes punk good versus bad. Like completely different than my opinion on this subject. 
Huh. Interesting. It's interesting. It is interesting. But that is next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>